was walking through a mall recently and went past one of those calendars and more stores. I don't know if you've seen those before. Every possible calendar you can imagine is in there, inspirational quotes, cat pictures, uh, mountain scenes, uh, and then whatever else they can sell next to the calendars. And as I was, uh, we were walking by, I was with my family, and I was just remarking to my kids, you know, there was a time where those calendars were way more popular. Uh, Before smartphones, before the internet, like if you wanted to remember something, you would write it onto one of those calendars. I was actually saying that this last week, and one of the guys on staff said, I still have one of those calendars in my house. Obviously, people must because they still sell them. But I was reminded, looking at that calendar of a calendar that I had uh, back when I was in eighth grade, and it hung above my bed, and on that calendar is where I put things that were coming up, birthdays that I wanted to remember, uh, important things that were happening in my life as a middle school student, Uh, but there was also something that I kept track of on that calendar that no one else knew anything about. In fact, there were a set of X's on different days of the month. And those X's represented something that, uh, that no one had any clue. In fact, uh, you know, I was praying about, uh, this, we're talking about this idea of freedom from sin. And I was praying about sharing the story uh, because it's pretty vulnerable. Uh, those X's represented days where, as a young man, me trying to follow God, uh, days where I struggled with lust. And days where I did good, I would leave them blank. And days where I messed up, I put a simple X on the calendar. I remember looking at that calendar and it representing my struggle with sin. My desire as a young man to try to honor God. And I remember looking at that calendar, seeing all these X's, and just realizing this overwhelming sense that I had no chance of overcoming sin on my own. That there was no hope under my own power of being able to have victory in this life. So I don't know if you had a calendar and you were keeping track of the struggles, the the sin areas in your life, what would your exes represent? What are the bad habits that you have? Things that you come to again and again, and and maybe the Holy Spirit has, has nudged you in a direction of saying, hey, that's something to let go of, but you just can't seem to overcome it. Maybe for you, your exes would, would represent anger, having a short fuse and, you know, try as hard as you can. You can't help but lose your temper and you bite at your kids and you snap at your spouse. Maybe for you, your, your ex would represent a substance, a drink, a, a drug, something that you go to for comfort, something that you used to feel like maybe you had control over, but now you can't function without it. Or maybe for you, your, your ex would represent an idol in your life, something that shifts your focus off from God that isn't inherently wrong on itself, but you've tried to build good habits, you've tried to have quiet times, you've tried to invest in your relationship with God, but this idol in your life not only distracts you away from what God wants for you, it also causes your faith to suffer. And not just your faith, it pulls you away from relationships and other meaningful things in your life. Have you tried on your own to overcome sin? Have you failed again and again and thought maybe this time it will be different and maybe there was a period of time where you had a good stretch of not having to mark anything down, of of not doing anything wrong and you felt really good about yourself, you patted yourself on the back, 
but then inevitably you stumbled again. You've struggled. Or maybe you've just given up. And what used to shock you, what used to be something that you felt like, this is other than what God wants for me, you've given up trying. It doesn't seem to bother you anymore, but deep down you know there's a problem. Have you tried again and again and again and come up short? I was thinking of that story of that calendar, and it just reminded me that I know that I have. I think that I have victory in my life, that I've overcome something, and then all of a sudden, bam, suddenly I feel that pull, and I'll, I'll just think, where did that come from? I think most of us could probably relate to that experience on some levels. And that, that, that idea is the reason why I'm so excited to share this message with you today. That, that, that what I've just set up, this problem with sin, is, is why I feel like God has something for you from the text that we're going to go over today. So I'm glad that you're here. Good morning to each of you who are gathered here in Mount Pleasant on a holiday weekend, no less. There's no better place to be. Good morning to those of you who are gathered in Alma. Excited to be with you today. And also uh, to those who are gathering online. In fact, if you're watching this from a beach somewhere or by the pool, you get extra bonus points for still being part of church. Uh, But this 4th of July weekend, I am so glad that you are here. We're in a series called From the Heart. And the, the whole purpose of this series is that seven different speakers, if you had one message to give, if you had one thing that you can share, what would it be? And Pastor Allen kicked us off with the one message of the gospel, that Jesus came to save sinners. And over these weeks, we'll talk about love, we'll talk about prayer, we'll talk about our identity as sons and daughters of God, we'll talk about uh, the, the, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And today, the scripture that we're looking at has been absolutely foundational for me. In fact, over my years of ministry, it's a scripture that I come back to again and again and again. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, to open up to the book of Colossians. It's a little book in the middle of the New Testament. If you have your smartphone or a tablet and you want to open up the Bible app, this is worth opening up because we're going to spend most of our time in Colossians chapter 3. This is an absolutely beautiful passage of scripture. And I remember coming across this passage when I was in college during a period of time where I was wrestling with this problem of sin in my life and feeling like I did not have what it takes to overcome it, asking these same questions of why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still struggling with sin? And so we're going to start in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. God's word says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. At the time that the book of Colossians was written, the people that were living remembered a time before Christ, a time before Jesus came and, and fulfilled the law. They, they remembered you know, the Old Testament way of doing things, that before Jesus, the law existed. 
And there were, of course, the big laws that we all know, the Ten Commandments, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, do not steal, do not murder. But there were hundreds of laws that were added on, ways that you had to interact to pursue holiness, ways uh, the things you could, could and could not eat, things that were considered unclean, things that you could wear. And the basic premise of the law was this, it was impossible to follow the law. All these laws existed to show how far short we fell of the glory of God. There was a problem with sin of us not being able to fulfill what God required that was made evident by the law. And God's word says that the wages of sin is death. Our inability to follow the law, that there was a consequence for that. And that consequence was that we deserve eternal separation from God. The law, it exists for a single reason, to demonstrate our need for God. And for those in the Old Testament, they realized it demonstrated their need for a Messiah, for someone to come and save them from this problem with sin. And so Jesus came, and Jesus was that Messiah. And he didn't abolish the law, but he fulfilled the law. What we couldn't do on our own, Jesus did. In one action, on the cross, in his death, he paid the price for sin for all who would receive him once and for all. He created a new way to engage with God, a new way to be human. And so for you and me, when we receive Christ, we participate with him in his death. We are dead to sin. We die to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, as as the book of Colossians is telling us. And we are no longer subject to the penalty that was due to us for our inability to follow the law. Not because the law no longer exists, but because Jesus paid the price that we could not pay on our behalf. And as a result of this, the text says, the text says that we are free. You are free, free from the bondage of sin. And that is absolutely good news. Yet, Many of us claim Christ, and we still find that we struggle the same way as those who have come before us with the sin problem. We try to do what God wants us to do. We try to honor God, but we try to do it under our own power. Even though we've been bought back by the blood of Jesus, we are struggling to keep the law ourselves. I think most people can resonate with that on a certain level. And when we do good, verse 23 says that we can puff ourselves up. We can feel good about ourselves. We can think, you know, in moments where we've got sin under control in our lives, that God must really love me right now. And it seems like a good thing. It has the appearance of wisdom. But If it is honestly sometimes us doing it ourselves, us trying to show that we don't really need God. The text says there's a false humility in it, and and there's no value in that for restraining sensual indulgence of the flesh, our, 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 our flesh's desire to do what is counter to God. And if you are doing it on your own, under your own power, you will mess up. So trying harder, To do what God requires is not the answer. In fact, if you are living a holy life and doing, by all accounts, a pretty good job, but you're doing it apart from God, the Bible says that that is sin. And it's also impossible. You're going to fail. You can't do it on your own. There's an amazing ministry that meets here at the church on Thursday nights. 
called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is open to everybody because everybody on some level is recovering from sin. So people come to CR with all all kinds of hurts and habits and hang-ups. Some of those come from unhealthy relationships, unhealthy ways of engaging, wounds that we've received, codependency issues, substance abuse, anger, sexual struggles, and every single person, every one of us, is in recovery from sin in one way or another. And there's a first step they talk about on the path to recovery that deals exactly with this idea. And this is the first principle from CR. I realize that I am not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. This is a foundational first step in the process of recovery, realizing that I am not God and that I cannot, under my own power, I am powerless to control my desire to do the wrong things. There is something that is broken inside of me, and my life is unmanageable. You can't do it yourself. That you're, you're, you're powerless. You're stuck. Being a dad to four kids, there are a number of skills that are required uh, to be a dad, and, and you know I can't list them all right now, but probably the most important, I don't know if it's the top of the list, but it's near the top of the list, uh, being a dad, is I'm the designated toilet plunger. <laughs> it's one of those skills that you know I've acquired over many years. If there's a toilet that's clogged in our house, there's a good chance that I'm going to be the guy that unclogs it. Uh, and I am not going to name names to protect the guilty, but there was a time not too long ago that uh, one of my little ones went to the bathroom, and it was quiet way too long. Like, it just knew there was a problem, and so I went over, knocked on the door. I said, is everything, everything going all right in there? And slowly the door creeps open, and I can't, I'm not going to give you the gory details of what I came into in that room, but... Everything that was in the toilet had come out. I'm sure there were multiple flushes. Uh, there, there was just waste everywhere, toilet paper everywhere. It was seeping into the carpets in the next room. It was in the, the bath mats that was in there. And right in the middle of it was my little one. And they're trying to clean this all up on their own. And they're grabbing whatever they can find, and, and they're trying to put it together. And I cannot claim that I was holy and blameless in my reaction in that moment. But I looked, I said, what are you doing? And they didn't want to get in trouble. So they were trying to clean it up on their own. And, and I think my response was something like, you're doing it wrong. I don't know what you're doing. You should have called the designated toilet plunger in the first place. They didn't have the skills. They didn't have the ability to clean up their own mess. I was thinking about that in light of what we're talking about today. Have you ever tried to clean up your own mess on your own and found that you didn't have what you needed to do it? You didn't have the necessary skills and the knowledge. You didn't have the power. You didn't have the right tools. You're trying to clean it up. You're trying to clean up your mess, and you can't. You're powerless. And in fact, your attempts have no value. There is no hope on your own. And if you're honest, have there been times that you felt like your life is unmanageable? And if so, you are not alone. You are in good company. So where is the hope? The good news is that God doesn't leave us there. The good news is that 
he has a, there's a good part that comes. One, one of my absolute favorite scriptures is this next script passage that we're going to read. And here is how we find how to experience freedom in Christ. So the, the problem has been set up here in chapter 3, verse 1. It begins to give us a solution. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You have been raised with Christ. Do you know what that means? The previous chapter, we were reading that we died with Christ. And so since we died with Christ, the Bible says we also, in some mystery, we get to be raised with Christ. And so you're something different. You've been changed. You have a new identity and a new way of thinking. And as a result of this new identity, we should shift our focus. We should set our minds on things above to keep our eyes centered on Christ, to spend times in worship where we were thinking about God's goodness and proclaiming his name, where he comes up in conversations. This is the focused life. Our mission statement as a church is leading people into a focused life with Jesus Christ. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. That is the right posture to have. Take your eyes off your circumstances, what you have an inability to manage on your own, and instead shift your focus to Jesus because the old you died. The old way of doing things is dead. The old you that was subject to the law that could not do it on your own, he died. And now you have been made new. It's an absolutely beautiful passage. It's a new paradigm of what the Christian life means. Because it moves us away from this idea of our, of our faith being simply managing sin. Of simply keeping tracks of, of X's on a calendar. And instead, it moves us towards this activity of, of continually focusing on Jesus. Of keeping our minds on Jesus. Of intentionally being mindful of him. Of having a relationship with Jesus, not just being a cliche, but being something that you can experience like a friend. And this, my friends, is where true freedom lies. Set your hearts on things above. Set your mindset, have a mindset of kingdom of God things. Your attitude and your affections. Set your mind on heavenly things. It's an absolutely lovely idea. And friends, this is the key to experiencing true freedom in Christ. Like, you want to know how to have victory over sin in your life? This is it. What you could not manage, God is more than able to manage. This is huge. This is foundational. And I remember digging into this passage as a younger man, and it absolutely hit me. This is the answer. This is the silver bullet to living the Christian life. This is the the solution. Now I'll go and I'll be free from sin. I won't struggle anymore. No more exes. And I wish I could tell you it was that simple. In fact, I was sharing this idea with Pastor Allen not too long ago. And he just smiled and he said, you thought that, and then you got older. So there's a few principles that I want to leave you with from this passage that ties to this idea of experiencing victory over sin in your life. And the first is this, temptation is a part of life. If you are human, you will face temptation. You will feel the desire to sin at different times. Even as a Christian, 
Anybody who says that they do not struggle with sin is either lying or in denial. In fact, you could probably ask someone they live with, and they'll have an easy time telling you that everyone struggles sometimes with sin. And the reality is that, that the temptation, the desire to sin will always be there. And so this text is not saying that you will not be tempted. It's not saying that in the life of a believer there's not a necessary habit of trying to overcome sin in our lives. You will face a daily battle against sin. And so if there is an issue in your life that you feel particularly tempted about, it does not mean that you're not truly a Christian. It doesn't mean that you've necessarily done something wrong. It simply means that you are human. But it does bring up a good question. Why is it that we are tempted? Or think of it, another, of another, of it another way, like why does God allow temptations to occur? And why does God allow us to experience temptation sometimes in a way that is incredibly strong? And so God, we believe he is all-powerful. We know he's all-powerful. I'm sure that he could flip a switch and dial down the temptation in our lives. Or couldn't he give us the ability to overcome them? But he doesn't always do that. In fact, sometimes God allows us to face temptation head-on. So some important things to note, the first is this, that God never tempts us to sin. And so if you are facing temptation, you can never say it's God's fault. It's never God's fault. Sin is always a choice that we make. Even if that choice was maybe made at some point in the past, historically, that has led to an issue in our life that we no longer have any control over, God is never to blame for our brokenness and for our sin. In James 1, God's word says that let no one say that he is tempted. No, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he, attempt, does he tempt any individual. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted to sin by the devil. Jesus, right, in his demonstration to us on how to pray, says, uh, ask God, lead us not into temptation. So God, for whatever reason, doesn't shield us from temptations in our life. Temptation to sin is simply a part of being human. But why? Is there anything good that can come from temptation in our lives? As I was Studying for this message, I believe that there are actually a number of things that we could say that are good as a result of facing temptation. First, temptation tests our reliance on God. When we say no to temptation, when we say no to the desire to do the opposite of what God wants us to do, that this is a way of confirming our commitment to following God. And God, I believe, wants our passion for him to be greater than our passion for sin. How much do you love him? Temptations can test and build our heart's loyalty. Another benefit, temptations can also transform us. In fact, I think God might allow temptations to exist in our lives because in those situations, we can experience a way that is going to be for our benefit in a way that transforms us to look and think and act more like Christ. And so God may allow us to face temptation to resist sin because he wants that to be a point of transformation for you. He doesn't just want to deliver you from something. He wants to deliver you to something. And, and you know, more often than that, 
facing temptation can actually uh, teach us something. And one of the most important lessons to learn in fighting temptation is a deeper understanding of our need for God's grace. In 2 Corinthians, Paul shares about a personal struggle in his life, and he doesn't say exactly what it is, but he pleads with God. He, he asks God repeatedly, you know, three separate times, God, would you remove this, this issue? Would you remove this struggle from my life? And God finally responds to Paul, and he says, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. So the struggle against sin is simply a part of life. And in this life, we experience both the fullness of the kingdom of God that is now, but also a portion that is not yet. The Bible talks about this battle between our flesh and our spirit. And God can use your fight in moments of temptation for good. So this morning, if you are facing a particular temptation right now, And even as we're talking about this, you can imagine that issue in your life that you're trying to gain victory over. And I ask you, what could God be wanting to teach you? What is a new way that God is wanting to stretch you, to develop something inside of you? And honestly, if you haven't already, I think it's fair to, can you just ask God in moments of prayer, what is he wanting to deliver you to? My encouragement is that you would keep pushing, that you would find community and ways the church can come around you, whether that's at Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights or whether that's as part of a community group. Keep pushing, keep fighting, because God wants you to have victory over sin. And when you do face temptation, the good news is that God also provides a way out, a way for us to not depend on ourselves, but instead to lean on him to find freedom from sin. The text continues in verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your sexual immorality, your impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, Slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in in all. So it says in verse 7, you used to walk in these ways, but rid yourself of these things. Get rid of those things. That was your old way of thinking. You may read through this and think, man, isn't this just, isn't God's word just giving us another list of things to avoid? Isn't this just another law, another set of do's and don'ts? And it's less of a command of saying, hey, stop doing these things. And it's more of a, of a pointing out of these were things that you used to do as a normal part of your old life. But now you're in a place of experiencing the new life. The, the text says that you died with Christ. And when you give your life to Jesus, the old you dies. The old way of doing things dies. Some of these struggles on this list, some of you need to have a funeral for the things that you've been fighting. You need to put them to death. 
say that, that's the old me. That's, that's the old way of thinking. Instead, we should live in light of our new identity in Christ. To keep this understanding of who we are. Take off the old self and put on the new self. In verse 10, I love how it says, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. That God is making something new inside of you. What you were powerless to do on your own, God has made a way through Jesus Christ. And this is what you were designed for, to experience true freedom. And so while you will face temptation the rest of your life, God also wants you to have victory over temptation, to have victory over sin. There's a fancy word in the New Testament that talks about this process of sanctification. Sanctification means being made holy, being set apart And so while we still sin, the the process of us continually being obedient to God's word is that there is a process that happens inside of us. It's a holy process. It's a a Holy Spirit-driven process. And as a result of following Jesus, we begin to, to take on that new understanding, that new mind. We begin to think and act more like Jesus. And so every moment in your life where you face temptation, And you make an intentional choice to do what God wants you to do. God uses that in your life to develop something. You know, there are times where you may feel a pull to do something in the way of the old self, and instead you say, no, I'm going to make a choice right now to honor God. I'm going to choose to live in light of my understanding of my new identity in Christ. Understanding who you are is the key to freedom. Bible says, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is what God designed you for, to experience freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for the sake of freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I remember reading this passage a, a while ago, and it seems redundant, right? Like, of course it's for freedom that he would set us free. But how many of us still live as if we're in still bondage to sin? Forgetting that Jesus sent his son to die to free us from that bondage to the law. Remember that your identity in Christ, that that, that sets you apart. You are a new person. Remember who you are. I was just a kid when the movie The Lion King came out. And in The Lion King, it's the story of this, this lion prince and everything in his world falls apart. His dad dies. He thinks it's his, his, his fault. And so Simba, this prince, goes off and he runs away from his calling. And he finds some new friends and they're hanging out in the jungle and they've got a new lease on life and their theme is Hakuna Matata. No worries, no problems, just kind of lay low. And there's a scene at the end where Uh, Simba, he's just kind of lazing around, but there's a calling on his life. There's a purpose. He needs to go and overthrow this evil that has taken place. And his father appears, the king. He's in the clouds. He's got that great Mufasa voice, which I definitely don't have that Mufasa voice. But he says, Simba, remember who you are. You've forgotten who you are. Remember who you are, and it's this moment of transformation for Simba because it snaps him out of it. He remembers who he is. He remembers that he has a purpose, and and he runs home, and, and he brings back order, and he brings back justice, and he overthrows evil. Remember who you are. 
You are called to more as God's people. You've been called to more than just being jealous over what your neighbor or your coworker has. You're called to more than just looking at images on a screen. You're called to more than trying to pursue the American dream and just make yourself as comfortable as possible. Remember who you are. You are a new person. And Christ actually died for that, that you would experience this new freedom in him, that you would experience true freedom in your life. And when you don't live in that freedom, you are missing what God intended for you. And the final thought is this. To experience freedom, shift your focus to Jesus. Shift your focus onto the new self onto the new mindset. Instead of trying on your own, keep your eyes on Christ. And this is not just a new paradigm, a new way of thinking. I believe that in this there is a very practical implication for this command. That when you feel the desire to sin, when you feel temptation, shifting your focus in that moment to Christ, right then, in that moment, is the key to victory over sin. There was a story that a pastor shared years ago that I have, I have now uh, taken and used in countless conversations. And it was, uh, it was a bit of counseling, biblical counseling, related to the struggle with pornography, which statistically, inside and outside the church, there is an alarming struggle with this issue in our world today. So sitting across from someone you know, asking this question of, you know, what does a struggle look like for you? They say, well, you know, I, I struggle with this, and every time I, I fail, I just feel guilt, and I feel shame, and I, and I, and I you know, there's, like, it's, it's something that just feels overwhelming. I feel like God has rejected me. And I'll often ask, well, how long does that last? And they'll say, well, you know, a few days, you know, it lasts for, for a little while until I feel like I've beaten myself up. So I'll ask, you know, do you believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he covered every sin that you've ever committed in the past? He's covered every sin that you're committing now. And he covered every sin, the payment for that sin that was due for every sin you'll commit in the future. And most times they'll be like, yeah, yeah, I, I do believe that. And so rather than you trying to beat yourself up, trying to pay the penalty for sin that you can't pay, what if later that same day, after you failed, after you struggled, after you messed up, you stopped and you said, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for already forgiving me for that sin that I did. Wouldn't that be a faster way to come back into right relationship with God? Usually they'll say, yeah, I, I think I could do that. What if we took it a step sooner and what if right after you sinned, right after you struggled, right after you messed up, what if in that moment, you said, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for, for already paying the price for that sin I just committed. Could you do that? Yeah, I, th I think I could do that. Let's take it one more step back. What if while you were looking at that image on your screen, you said, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me for the sin that I'm committing right now. And usually they stop. They said, if I did that, I probably, I probably wouldn't do it anymore. And like, that, that is it. 
That is the secret to freedom in our life. The more that we can put our eyes on Christ and say, in light of the grace that I've received, Jesus, thank you for the freedom that you've brought to me. Thank you for paying the price for every sin that I've committed. And when I face temptation in that moment, my reaction, my habit is to worship. I believe God can use that powerfully to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly realms, that therein lies the freedom that can only come from Jesus. And it's in moments like that, we say, God, I want to be quicker to come into your feet. I want to be quicker to worshiping my Savior. I want to be quicker to claim the victory that you have already claimed for me in the name of Jesus. And that is the amazing God that we serve. What we could not do on our own, Jesus already did on our behalf. Don't live like a slave anymore. You died to the old self. Be kingdom-minded. Keep your eyes on Christ. Forever grateful for God's continued grace in your life. That is the amazing God we serve. Forever patient. Forever loving who brings us from death to life. And now church, as we close, let's stand together and let's worship him.